All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Keel Conversations. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. So today I'm chatting with Natalie, who is a content marketing strategist at Studio 71. She started her journey in content marketing during college where she wrote for LinkedIn as one of their campus editors. By May of 2018, she graduated as the number one most followed student on LinkedIn with over a quarter million followers. So that is a lot of people following you. And as you can imagine, there's probably a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. There's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of social anxiety there putting out that much content and having that many people commenting and reacting. So I'm really happy that we're able to have this conversation because we often see only the surface of social media and don't normally get into the behind the scenes and the actual mentality that is required and the mindset that's required to do well on these platforms and carve the path in a lot of the cases. So Natalie does a great job providing a, uh, a real perspective on what it's like living a world where you have so many people looking at what you're putting out there kind of day by day. So really excited to share this one and really proud to have her part of the Keo community. Enjoy. Before we dive into this conversation, please do leave a review if you're loving these chats. They do go a long way. And lastly, this podcast is being supported by Keo, which is our mental fitness app. All of these incredible guests ended up in app to help guide you through your daily reflection. So if you're interested in taking that for a spin, head over to the Apple App Store, search KYO, and you will see Keo pop up. Thank you so much. And as always, really appreciate your time, your attention, and have the absolute best day yet. Who are you? Good question. So as you said, yes, my name is Natalie Riso. In 2015, I started to write on LinkedIn as a part of an internship I had while I was going to college. Um, I think I was in between like my freshman and sophomore year. I just started writing some articles and found that there was sort of this audience on the platform and started to build a following there. Um, And so now I have two LinkedIn Top Voice Awards. I'm a content marketing strategist for Studio 71. So I help run socials as well as write and execute copy. Um, And now I kind of speak across America now starting with Canada a little bit as well um, in terms of personal branding, how to build an audience. And I've really centered a lot of my content around diversity and leadership, mental health um, and Gen Z. It's amazing. And what what is it? So what does it mean to be a LinkedIn? It started as a LinkedIn campus editor, but I mean, just what does it mean to be a LinkedIn editor in general for you? Yeah, good question. Um, so the campus editor thing is a little bit different than a lot of their other other editors. Um, so a lot of like you'll see uh, there used to be a millennials editor, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Um, <laughs> but a lot of what they would do is they would scan through content. So starting in, I believe, 2014, LinkedIn started to have this thing called the Pulse platform, um, which is now just called LinkedIn Publishing. But you could write articles that would go directly onto your profile. 
And they would basically scan through those articles, see what fits best for certain channels. And then if they found an article that they liked, they would maybe push it to people who they know they would like it to, they would know would read it and like it and engage with. Okay. Um, and so as a campus editor, it was a little different because we actually helped on the writing side. So we would meet with students um, and say, like, what are you passionate about? What internships do you want? How can we sort of craft articles in such a way and craft your brand so that you can reach the people that you want to reach on the platform? It's amazing. What I mean, I have so many questions. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, I'm excited. It's just, it's just because, the, you know, you've reached, I can't remember that. I think you're, you're over 300,000 people are following you, right? On LinkedIn, something 320,000 roughly. Yeah, it's like um, 325, I think. Okay. Yeah. So I have 321, which which was done, you know, f- I think a couple of weeks ago or something. So it's amazing. It's, it's still growing strong. But what, like, what did you, what have you learned from going from zero to that many people following you about yourself? Um, a lot of things. I think, I think it came in tears. So okay. The first year, um, I only got maybe like like 10,000 followers, um, which is, is still significant. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Um, but I think at first it was kind of, I never viewed it as like a community thing. I was just like, oh, this is interesting because I never viewed LinkedIn as like a social media platform like Instagram, you know, like you have Instagram influencers with brand deals and they have content curation and editorial calendars and all those things. And I was just like, this is cool. And I just like writing about this stuff. Like it was just really authentically a reflection of what I was going through. Um, and me going through college and realizing there was lots of things that I'd grown up on that were different in the real world. So I think that first year I didn't really think about it. And then it wasn't really until the second year when I hit like, I think it was like 60,000 that I was like, oh, wait a second. Like this is actually kind of turning into something. Um, and it wasn't even until this year, um, which I started the year, I think at, I want to say I started the year at like 200,000, um, (laughs) that I know, I know I hate dropping the numbers, (laughs) (laughs) but it's important in the context. Um, when I got to that level that I really started to get, um, a lot of not necessarily hate, but a lot of criticism of my work. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's when it really started to mentally take a toll of like the magnitude of that number of like how big it had gotten where this was no longer like an audience that was always going to love me and was always going to like, you know, like everything that I wrote. Um, And so that's when it really started to kind of hit and it, it really changed how I like approached my content because it no longer was this like, oh, I'm going to write everything that comes to my mind. It really was like, I have to carefully like curate these things and I have to write about things that I'm so passionate about that if someone hated on it, it would be fine. Like I would be fine with them hating on it. That's an interesting perspective. Uh, And and thank you for sharing that because, you know, I I asked that question because I think everyone goes through some sort of, let's just call it negative criticism on, on, on some level. Right. But then when you, when you layer on hundreds of thousands of people, I mean, you're just thrown into that, right? There's, it's just, it's just, it's a numbers thing. Right. So the reason I wanted to talk about that is just, just to help people go through that on whatever scale that they're seeing. 
um, these comments come in, and especially in the world we live in uh, on social. And, and I think before we started recording, even just on my side, mentioning now that the app is out, reviews, right? And it, it's really hard to not personalize that stuff because I think what happens, the, the person on the other side that's writing the comment, at least this is my perception on it, like they're probably going through something themselves. Like it's not a reflection of your writing or our app or whatever it is. Like there's something else there, but it's hard not to take that personally when you've put all this time and in your case, you know, writing great content, like that doesn't just come out in five seconds. Right. So how have you, how have you processed that personally when you see those type of comments? Yeah. I mean, I think too, to kind of go back to your example as well, when you have reviews or in my case comments, you read those reviews because you want feedback. Like you want to hear what's going Mm -hmm. well. You want to hear what's also going bad. And sometimes it's really hard mentally to say, oh, this is a hate comment or, or, oh, this is constructive criticism. Um, It gets even more blurred when it's a comment on your own thoughts, let alone a review. Because review, they're talking about, you know, aspects of the product this is like literally aspects of like my thought process. Um, And so it's a, it's a bit different. Um, But I think when it came down to it, the, the comments that I've mentally um, struggled with the most have been the really technical comments. So if someone says I'm ugly, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm like, cool. Um, But when someone will sit there and go, you are so illogical or like you are so, um, I've gotten a lot of comments where they're like, this is so strange coming from an American or like they'll, they'll kind of go to like the core of who you are. Those are, those are hard to deal with. And I think yeah. I've kind of come to the point where like, there has to be a little bit of a grieving process. Like there's never going to be a point where I can always just blow off comments because I found that a lot of times when I was telling myself I was blowing them off, I was really just like, hiding the sadness that came from that comment deep down and then later on you know would realize that like no this is just festering like I have to have a little bit of a grieving moment for this one comment which sounds so Gen Z of me to say but um you do like you when someone says something like that um especially the hardest comment was the American comment of like you you are not a good representation of an American Um, and that was like the hardest comment that I've ever had to deal with because that really went to like the core of who I was. Um, and I had to take a moment and like process that and be like, no, I'm very happy in who I am. And as an American, I'm not the traditional American, but I'm very proud of that. Um, very proud to, you know, you know, criticize certain things and ask questions and that's who I am as a person that, like I said before, I'm so passionate about that, that it's okay that someone hated on that because I'm not, I'm not willing to change that aspect of my personality. Well, and good on you, because I think it, it also promotes, and you're, you're a source of inspiration for a lot of people in, in the sense of, you, you know, you're going to get this, this type of, of commentary, right? But you're, you're still putting it out there because it is true to who you are. And and there's so much hiding uh, these days with with mental health, with with so many things that I feel like you know we need to be talking about this stuff, right? And the way to be talking about it is to be open and, and truthful, and and essentially you're 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 putting yourself out there and putting you know vulnerability out there, which is which is something to be I think acknowledged for. So thank you uh, for for doing that. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I even 
the other comment that was hard that I had in person was somebody told me to stop talking about um, my anxiety online because they were like, it makes you seem weak, Natalie. Really? Yeah. That was like such a baffling comment to me because I was like, doesn't that make me seem strong though? That like, I was so vulnerable. Like, isn't there a strength in that? Um, and I think also when it came to LinkedIn, which is a super fresh professional platform, there's also just this moment of like, if they are not willing to hire someone that openly talks about their anxiety or, you know, diversity in the workplace, then they're probably not the person I want to work for. <laughs> hmm. Wow. Yeah. See, I would have never guessed a comment like that would ever come up, <laughs> to be honest with you. And that's probably me being naive, but that's, uh, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, it, it happens. You, you know, people have different opinions about it, but like I said, there's a moment to, to take, uh, to take a breath and kind of realize and acknowledge that comment as being negative, And then you move on with your life and you realize this is something I'm really passionate about. I'm still going to be doing it. Yeah. So I, I have a quote here written, written down. I can't remember where I found it, but it, to me it was, it was very impactful. And you said, I view networking as one of my primary sources of education. Networking was the key to solving my lack of work experience. Do you, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so the first article that actually ever went quote, quote unquote viral on the platform um, <laughs> was about how I overcame my lack of work experience with networking. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that like, I was really shy um, and I didn't have a strong network when I graduated high school. And so I went into college and I was just like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, I went through like a really bad breakup and I basically was told like dating you is sometimes dating like Mark Zuckerberg from the social network. Like you're so internal. Um, okay. like you never go out and do like really actual things or like network because you're always thinking of these like grandiose ideas in your room. Um, but then never do anything about it. Um, and I think that was like a real sort of kick in the butt that I needed. Um, mm -hmm. and so when I went to UC Irvine, which for people who are not from California, Irvine is in Orange County, which is just below LA. Um, I would go after school and I would drive up to Santa Monica, um, which is a very long drive in traffic. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure. so this would be like two hours. I would drive to go to like one meetup for like an hour. And I would just say like, okay, now you have a lot of social anxiety. You're very shy. Um, but you need to get like three business cards tonight and learn how to like spark conversation with people. Um, and that's what I did for like a year and a half basically. Um, and I found that because I was starting to talk to people, at first, people just want to talk about themselves, and that's okay. Like you, you have to realize that that's just a product of going to networking events. Um, yeah. But then, as you get more comfortable, you kind of learn how to put in snippets about what you want to do and what you're passionate about, and then you start to realize like this person connect me with this person, and you start to connect the dots a little bit. And that's when I started to really find internships that I I enjoyed. So like the first internship that I got after after doing some networking was I helped do women entrepreneurship events in Los Angeles, which was super rewarding. Um, it wasn't something that I ended up doing long-term, but it was great in terms of like, I literally was hosting networking events with a bunch of people. And now, now that's like a pillar of kind of what I do on LinkedIn is um, the one piece of value that I guess I could always give people is that I have a decent network now. And so if I want to meet somebody, I can always say like, Hey, I noticed you're doing this project 
these three people that I'm connected to might be of help to you. Let me connect you guys. By the way, is it okay if we like have some coffee sometime? And people are really open to that. So networking has definitely been kind of like a pillar in terms of how I've been able to get new projects, new opportunities, but also sort of accelerate my career. That's amazing. And, and how, how has your online networking helped you in a face-to-face situation? And maybe they're not different, but I'm just curious to, to get your perspective on that. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that you learn in person. Um, this was something actually when we, I helped host a LinkedIn event at the Staples Center, which was amazing. Um, but it was interesting because I met up with a lot of the fellow campus editors at that event. Okay. And we were all talking and we were like, isn't it like weird to see each other in person now? Because <laughs> we had all talked to each other. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Um, and like, there were things that we, like one girl on the platform, who's not a campus editor, um, named Tiffany Para, who started a podcast and everything, but she, her and I, like we met each other and we noticed that we were both wearing like hype beastie sneakers. Like we were both like really huge sneaker heads, um, which we would have never, <laughs> ever known online. <laughs> like we're so like all, sure. all, all the time, you know? Um, and we were talking about that for like hours, like literally about like Chinese streetwear and like all these different like aspects of streetwear. Um, and I think a lot of online, there's just certain things that can't be communicated. Um, so you do have to be a bit more willing to hop onto that phone call, hop onto that zoom call or Skype or whatever it is. Um, because only so many things can be translated through word. Um, so I think the main thing with my online networking that I've realized is online should always try to turn offline. Um, at first, Interesting. Like, oh, I'll just like send messages back and forth and it'll be fine. But there, there comes this disconnect. Um, and maybe it's a very Western thing as well, where we want to have small talk and we want to, you know, learn more about each other. Um, but I found that, um, if I didn't have a phone call, if I didn't have a zoom call, the, the relationship only really lasted maybe max a month. Um, you had to have some sort of connection, whether it be, you know, video, but best in person, um, in order for it to have some sort of like longevity to it. That's a great insight. I'm just writing that down actually. Um, thanks again for, for, for sharing that. What, what makes you most proud of your network? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, So this has happened recently where I think for a long time, my network was just something that I used as a tool. Um, And it wasn't until recently I started to get involved with this Gen Z foundation um, headed up by Richard Kim, who he has basically brought together a bunch of kids who are all, you know, between 19 to like 24 ish. Um, to do conferences where we all talk about, you know, entrepreneurship and social media and stuff like that. But we really started to cultivate a network that cared about giving back. And that made me so proud to be a part of that, like somebody thought to bring me into that. Um, So we worked with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and we've worked with the Yemen Foundation and we're working with schools and um, stuff like that to try to empower kids in underserved areas. Um, and that was something where I started to be really um, proud of the work that I was doing because I knew that it was actually making like such an impact for people. 
Um, that and the mental health aspect has honestly been like the most rewarding aspect um, because I do get DMs um, on LinkedIn or in messages that are like, you helped me today. Like that's like the most rewarding thing in the world. So powerful. Um, like I made one post about how I, how sometimes I put my phone on grayscale when I get anxious because then like mentally you don't worry so much about the notifications. And someone was like, that helped me so much today. Like you have no idea how many notifications I get. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was like, I feel that, but also like, that's amazing that I was able because of the audience that I do have, have an impact with them. Um, And I've just realized that like numbers are great and you want your content to be seen as by as many people as possible but you also want to have deep impact with people. You don't want to always be surface level with everyone. So speaking about mental health, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Cause I, I know that is, uh, and you just brought it up now, but I know that is a big focus for you and that will probably can expect to see a little bit more content uh, coming your way, talking about that. So I'd love to get a little bit of insight on, you know, where that came from, and if you're comfortable talking about it, you know, some of the struggles that, that you've gone through and, and how those came about, but the most importantly, how you've gotten through them. Yeah. So I, I've always kind of struggled with mental health. It's something that, um, even from like a young age was an issue, um, and mostly through anxiety. So I was just like a really anxious kid and I thought that that was like totally normal. Um, I didn't realize that that was a problem till basically like late high school, early college. Um, and like I mentioned before, I had a lot of social anxiety, um, which I also didn't realize was a thing. I thought everybody thought about a 30 second conversation for the next five days. Didn't realize that sure. no one did. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Which is so ironic that you have, that you essentially are a, you know, a social media guru. Right. (laughs) And and it stemmed out of having all this social anxiety. It's, uh, it's fascinating. I know. I used to have a fear of public speaking as well, um, which is weird because now I have like literally like six speaking engagements for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, But like freshman year of high school, I cried during one of my speeches and like literally had a panic attack and like had to like excuse myself mid speech because it was so bad. And I think my teacher gave me like a pity B plus, like he was just like, so (laughs) I'm so sorry you had to go through this. Um, but yeah, no, I, I didn't really address mental health though till my freshman year of college. Um, and that's when my freshman year of college, I struggled with the panic disorder, um, on top of my anxiety disorder. Um, and I really started to be like, this is affecting a lot of my life. Like, not only is this affecting sort of friends and relationships like that, but like, I can't go to class like this. Like I can't take a test and be this, you know, anxious. Um, and that was a really low point where I had to start to, um, find different things in my life that were consistencies. So like I grew up a child of divorce. I was always moving houses. Um, I had step family and stuff like that. And I realized that my life was always about inconsistencies and I had to build consistencies for myself, mm-hmm. whether that was working out, whether that was eating healthy, um, you know, whether that was meditating, I've, I've tried a lot of different things. Um, sure. but I think that was the main thing. 
Um, and I've even transferred schools. So I used to go to UC Irvine. I graduated from USC. Um, now I'm working in Beverly Hills. And I, you know, th- this period of time in my life is very um, inconsistent and changes all the time. But the one thing that I've had to work on is, you know, I have to take care of my body first. Um, and so I've talked a lot about that of being like, you know, I changed from coffee to only tea now, and I really focus on eating lean. So during the weekdays, I eat mostly pescatarian and I focus on fruits, vegetables, and fish. Um, and I'm trying to work out more. And a lot of times when I'll go and I'll speak, I'll spend like a weekend there. And then like on one of the days I'll go hiking or I'll go to a local gym or something like that. Um, and Mm. so I've definitely had to build out certain things, but I've worked it into my writing because it had become such a pivotal part of, um, sort of how I operated and how I approach business of like, I'm never going to let my mental struggles hold me back from what I want to do. Um, you know, like we were joking, like I literally turned into the antithesis of what my problems were. Um, yeah, I feel like it's fueled, it's fueled (laughs) everything in your life in, in a, like a weird way as you reflect back, obviously. Right. Um, I shouldn't say weird. It's, it's probably a good way, but hard to see it in a good way at the time, obviously, when you're going through these things. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not easy to go through those things. Like now it's easy to say, oh, I did all these things. Of course. Um, but I think it does become such a pivotal part of your life because you do have to spend so much time sitting there thinking like, how am I going to thrive in this environment? Like, like the doctors literally told me, they're like, Natalie, you're going to struggle with anxiety the rest of your life. Probably like, this is just something that you've always had. You probably will always have it this will be a part of like how you operate. Um, And so I kind of just had to sit there and be like, if this is going to be a part of my life, like I have to learn not only to exist, but to really like live, like to really thrive and be like what I want to be because I cannot deal with mediocrity. Like I can't deal with the idea that I'm just going to exist for the rest of my life. That's amazing. I mean, the the way I think the the point I really want to stress to everyone listening because we, I think we live in a, in a, in a world that we just think there's a fix, right, for everything. I mean, and it's I don't think it's our fault. I mean, that's how society has kind of evolved. That's how the health care system works, right? I mean, you have something, we'll give you a pill or we'll give you a solution, and this is going to, you know, you're done with 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 the problem. But anything when it comes to mental health. Uh, I mean, you nailed it, right? It's not, it, it's something that, that is a part of you. And it, for the, for most of the times, there isn't a, a, a simple cure to it, right? So, you know, the advice you're offering and, and sharing these these tips and practices in, in a way is kind of the, you know, is the best case scenario and is, is the cure to living with these different situations that were, will always come up, right? So thank you for sharing that. And, and I hope that that resonates with others. Um, I mean, I go through it myself, just trying to launch an app in a company. It's It's been a crazy journey. And I, I, I keep telling people that it's the most stress that's ever been thrown at me in one shot, but the less stress I've ever felt because of talking to people like you and coming out of these things with practices and things that I can do to try to control that a bit more. So it's, um, it's really impactful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, this is the whole reason why I like talking about it is because it does have an impact on people and you never realize how many people 
actually deal with it until you start talking about it. And then like, I remember I was with a group of friends the other day and it was maybe like five people. Um, and I started to just kind of talk about one of the articles I had written um, and one of the articles I was hoping to write. And they were and literally like four out of the five people were like, oh, we've all dealt with that. Like, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't realize that so many people yeah. were dealing with the same issues, but no one was talking about it. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, I had a meeting before, before recording this and I took the subway to the meeting. And again, this is coming from, from other interviews, but I, you know, I wasn't listening to podcasts. I wasn't on my phone and I wasn't reading something like, I'm just going to look around and actually be a bit mindful. And it was a bit of a depressing thing because if you, and I challenge people listening to, to do this, but I looked around that subway car and you can see the depression in the car. Like there was probably one person that was maybe somewhat smiling. Everyone else just looked miserable. Right. So, I mean, we have to, we have, I'm glad you brought up the four to five because the stats are, you know, 50% and, and up that we know of. Right. So what's clear is, is the four to five is probably the, the, the realistic number. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that because we're not reporting all of this stuff. So, I mean, we have to talk about this and, and make it okay and, and not have any type of perceptions or judgments linked to it. Right. It's, it's, it's because it's just like if you, if you have a coach of some sort for any sport, I mean, wh- why is it, it's okay. Hey, coach, you know, can you help me with my jump shot? Well, we should probably have a coach for the biggest game of all time, which is our life. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's, and get it's like a ubiquitous part of like who we are too. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's literally like our day to day. Like we talk about like our weather yeah. and our morning, our commute, but like somehow we don't talk about like how we're doing mentally, which is still baffling to me. Sure. Well, we're getting there. There, there, there is hope because I mean we're we're having this conversation, and there's a lot of that, a lot of this taking place, and I think well, at least what I'm realizing personally, I think people are tired of accepting that feeling stressed and feeling anxiety and feeling depressed is, is just part of the normal situation. Like I think people are just tired and, and it's no longer a badge of honor to, you know, work 60 hours a week. And so, so I think what's coming out of that is that people are realizing that you, you have to, you have to prioritize your own health because if you don't, I mean, what's, you can't, if your mind's gone or your body's gone, either one of them, you're kind of stuck right? You, you, you for sure can't function at your, your full potential and often can't function at all. Right. Yeah. So you, you, uh, Natalie, you brought it up a bit when you're traveling uh, and I want to pull this out a little bit more, but when, so when you are away, um, you mentioned how you'll, you know, you might stay at a location a couple days later and, and do some hiking and exercising and whatnot. But the question I have is, what are your key non-negotiables when you're outside of your regular routine? Yeah, that's a really important question and something that recently I've had to reevaluate. Um, I think on top of that, and I'll just mention this briefly, it's also just as important how you prepare for a trip than how you are on the trip. Um, because mm. I've noticed coming back, if I do not prepare well for that trip, it is so hard for me to recover. Um, but to answer your question, um, I think that the, the sort of non-negotiables, the number one is eating. Like if I eat 
even like a bag of potato chips at the airport, like I'm screwed. Like I just will feel terrible. I'm someone where my body reacts really significantly to the types of food that I eat. Um, and so I will always have to eat healthy. Um, so I, my like suitcase is like packed with like, f- like protein bars, but also like really fresh alternatives to like potato chips, like beet chips and stuff like that, which sounds slightly bougie, but I promise it's not. Um, <laughs> but it's really like me trying to eat very lean. Um, cause I know that if I'm eating well and if my body feels well, that's just like one thing I don't have to worry about. Um, so always staying hydrated. I actually bring like tea packets wherever I go um, because a lot of times people will, will be able to give you hot water. So then I'll be able to have like my tea wherever I go. Um, so that's mm, like great a little tip. Yeah, that's and, and two, you get to bring your favorite tea, which sometimes it's like a great little piece from home. So like I'll always bring Jasmine tea. Yeah. Um, so that's like my one like major thing. Um, I think the also other non-negotiable is a lot of times because I am 21, I'll be, you know, sharing Airbnbs with people and I'll say like, I don't care if I need to like split a bed with somebody, but I can't sleep on a couch. I can't sleep on a floor. Like it's not me trying to be like, like I said, bougie. Um, it's literally like if I don't get good sleep, like I'm going to be a hot mess. Like I will be very anxious because that's one of my main triggers is when I'm sleep deprived. Um, and so there's not like a lot of things that I would say are like my non-negotiables, but those two are like the huge ones. Um, and then there's just a lot of like coping mechanisms where like if I'm at a conference and I feel overwhelmed, allowing myself to step outside for, you know, a good 10, 15 minutes and not feel bad about it, not feel like I'm missing out on anything, but just say like, hey, I just like need this in order to function. Um, that's been kind of my saving grace at a lot of conferences has been like, let me go outside. Let me take a breather, not even go on my phone because my phone will give me anxiety too, but like be yeah. very like in the moment and kind of just like look around at my surroundings and then go back in. That's really been helpful when I'm traveling and I'm in kind of these like high anxiety situations. How do you, cause it seems like you're, you're very self-aware of your triggers and you've, you've come up with this list of, of things and, and just for the record, you know, I don't think it needs to be a massive list. What, what's, what's key is that these are the really important elements that you've recognized that are, that are triggers, right. And that will keep you operating at the top of your game. But what was, how did you come to this, these conclusions? Like, did you go through some sort of a, a reflective process or do you continually evaluate this in, in some capacity to say, okay, you know what, this is something else, or I should do this. And you know, these are the outcomes. Like what, what's the, what was the, what did the process look like for that? I think the process is con- continuous. I think we're still figuring out things that I can do sure. and I can't necessarily do without um, preparing for it. Um, like literally a month ago, I went to an Asian night market and had a panic attack and realized that I had not eaten well that day. I, you know, my skin wasn't feeling well. Like there was all these different things that had led up to this very crowded, very loud um, you know, there was a lot of smells, great smells. I mean, my God, Asian food's the best, but when it's all in your <laughs> face, it can be overwhelming. Yeah. Um, that I was just like, man, like I thought I had a grip on this and it makes you question everything. But I think, you know, ultimately the process has been trial and error, um, which 
is sometimes really frustrating and is kind of just a part of having what I have of um, sometimes I think I'll be able to do something and I'll learn I can't. Um, and it's not that I can't forever. It's that I can't given the circumstances I had at that moment. Mm. Um, and I think the main thing has been like, okay, I know I want to go to Asian food markets because I love Asian food. How do I prepare myself for a way that I can do that? Um, and so I think that's always been kind of my approach of like, what do I need to do to make sure that I can do everything I want to do? Um, the other thing has been like, I have been no medication. I've been like very like all natural in terms of my approach. Um, that's just a personal thing. I don't have anything against it. It just, for me, I felt like that was the route I wanted to take. And so knowing that, um, knowing that and knowing like the doctors that I've been working with and stuff like that, um, I've always been very upfront about that. So I think it's also been a collaborative process of saying like, I, I want to do this for myself. I want it to be an all natural thing. What do you guys have as recommendations talking to other people who also struggle with it? What do they do? Um, and starting to, you know, open up a conversation about it because, um, as fun as trial and error is, um, <laughs> sure. you also just want to sort of have, you know, advice from people and, um, somebody who's been great also on LinkedIn to talk about it is Michaela Alexis, um, who's another like juggernaut in terms of her influence, but she's talked about it a little bit in terms of like, um, you know, having these off days where, you know, she doesn't do any work or, um, kind of how she deals with it when she's traveling. Cause she travels like way more than I even do. Um, and so I think it's also been like finding other people that I could relate to, whether that's on LinkedIn or even when I was younger, like on YouTube, um, there was this one YouTuber named Zoella who talked about how the fact that she had panic attacks. And I was like, Oh my God, like I feel that, like I feel that so hard. Um, And so she would talk about that and she would talk about how she has pamper evenings that she like just takes care of her body. Mm -hmm. Um, And so stuff like that, I think, you know, it's been trial and error, but it's also been like, you know, doing your research and figuring out a way that best fits you and how you want to approach dealing with uh, whether it's your anxiety or, you know, any other sort of mental issue. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing too is just knowing that you're not alone mm-hmm. in this, right? And finding, finding, and I'll link to those, uh, to those people in the show notes, but finding the people that you need at that point or that time in your life to, you know, get you through whatever the moment is. But then again, like you say, continually, continually adapting uh, what'll help you as you, as you progress, right? It, through, throughout your life. Um, so important. Um and there's so many different examples. And I, I think th- this is why I'm really excited to, to be talking to you is just this hopefully can be a relatable conversation to someone that's listening. Right. And I think that's why we have to have more of these conversations to just get it out there and it's okay to talk about it. So uh, I just want to thank you on, on the, on the behalf of everyone listening and myself for, for being open to talk about this and, I'll start wrapping up just to be conscious of, of, of time, but I think it was really, really valuable. And it's these little, it's these little tips and practices. Like it's okay to step out of the conference and just take a few minutes for yourself that I think make the world of a difference. Right. 
Yeah. And I think too, like admitting to yourself that this isn't like a weakness. Like I think I always viewed it as like, oh, I'm being weak. Like I have to push myself. I have to to be like the Gary Vaynerchuk 2.0 and work all these hours. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's very popular with college kids. Like college kids absolutely love him. Um, and yeah. so they think that they have to be just like him and work all these hours. Um, and if they don't, that they're weak. They're they're not working hard enough. They're not passionate about it. And that's just completely not true. That yeah. if anything, taking care of your body and taking care of your mind is allowing you to work harder and work more efficiently and do the things that you're passionate about, that they're not these like antithesis things. No. And I'm, I'm glad you brought Gary up because, um, yeah, on, on the outside, he, he can be a bit much, right? Mm-hmm. And But there, I think the more you follow him and the more you see his content, then you start seeing, okay, wait a second. I mean, there, there are things in his day and his routine, A, that we don't see, but the, even the things that we do see, where he's prioritizing uh, the exact things that you're saying, and I'll add one other point. You know, one of one of the very early interviews I've had for for Keo, and, and I'm grateful to say she's part of the app. Is his actually his chief strategy officer, Justine Bloom, and she talked a lot about the value. Which she calls them cocoon days, um, which is actually it's the same theme that you mentioned uh, from from the the person from YouTube, and it's just taking time and in her case it might be an evening or a whole sunday literally just for her and it you know that looks different in 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 every situation it might be you know just taking walks it might be doing yoga it might be going to the spa like whatever she needs at that moment but the the key is to is prioritizing the time to do that right so so there's someone that literally, you know, runs alongside Gary every day, um, again, showing the importance of prioritizing your, your mind and, and body to, to perform at crazy levels and, and, and do good work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even Gary has come out and said that he had to start working out um, because he just realized yeah. that he was neglecting it and that he had to take care of his yeah. body. So even he has come out and said, hey, you need to, to make sure that you're doing a lot of self-care as well. For sure. Uh, Natalie, I, w- I definitely want to get for the listeners and for the app, your three reflective questions. And, and these are just questions that you might come up on a frequent basis for you that you find are floating around in your life that have helped you through your journey or during big life-changing events. Um, and, and just they're just questions to help slow down and, and think a little bit. Yeah. So the first one would be, how does my body feel? Um, which is definitely a theme throughout this whole recording, but, um, that has been the major thing for me that I have just realized affects my mind so much. Um, and is something that in the moments where I've been the most anxious, I've realized that I've been neglecting it and not realizing it. Um, The second one would be, what is the impact of what I'm doing right now? That has helped me a lot when I've been very doubtful um, and I've been, you know, getting the hate comments or getting constructive criticism and being like, what is, what is the positive impact of what I'm doing right now? Who, who am I affecting? Mm. Um, It's a great question. And then I think the third one, um, and this kind of goes back to the conference moment of um, basically like, 
when did I have a moment of thoughtfulness today? Like, when did I step outside of the hustle and bustle of everything to really be in the moment? And if I haven't done that, can I do that now? Um, I think that's one of those things that I've really struggled with because, you know, a lot of my career has been networking, that I'm always talking to people, I'm always in a crowd, that sometimes you do need to kind of take that moment to be sort of in the moment and step step away from the crowd a little bit to realize just how, you know, lucky I am and how grateful I am for the opportunities that I've been given. Um, that definitely has helped me sort of get out of get out of my own head um, and just be really grateful. I'm going to personally thank you for that last one because I, I think I mentioned this before we started recording, but uh, actually tonight will be the kind of the third evening event in a row for me, and so I'm I'm resonating a hundred percent with what you're saying as I'm actually feeling it myself. Like these are all great events and I'm meeting great people, and there's all this follow up and there's awesome opportunities coming from it, but I feel a bit anxious myself that, you know, how can I even process all of this? And, and even just thinking we're speaking in the morning right now, I've got one more of these. Um, I've got to take a little bit of time today for myself um, to be able to, you know, continue and, and, and make the most out of t- tonight's event. So thank you. No, absolutely. I think it's a really good question. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I want to, again, thank you for, for a wonderful conversation and, you know, acknowledge you on behalf of everyone listening, as well as everyone following you for staying true to who you are and growing throughout the years, throughout the, you know, using this journey and using platforms like LinkedIn and others to really make a positive and wonderful difference in this world. And I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out next from your end. Well, thank you. No, I I love the stuff that you're doing as well. And I think that this is such an important topic. I mean, we've mentioned how, you know, just bringing up the conversation is a key to not only um, sort of debunking some of the myths about it, but also just on a personal level in terms of allowing yourself to become more comfortable with talking about it and accepting and thriving. Um, so I'm really excited to see where it goes and, um, to see also where the conversation goes and how we can better create an impact both with Keo and on LinkedIn as well. hundred percent agree. Have an incredible day. Thank you. You as well. (laughs) 